they took electrodes and they attached them to the outside of my butt. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Your Radiance, a podcast where we discuss the most intimate parts of the human experience. Let's take a deep dive into self-love, sexual pleasure, and absolutely everything in between. I'm your host, Chris Hall, and each week we will be joined by one fabulous friend, and sometimes that friend will just be me, to talk about how we can all become our most radiant selves. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Today, we are joined by me, just me. Please enjoy me interviewing myself and the surprising things that come out. It is, unsurprisingly, not easy to interview yourself. However, I realize that you may not know a lot about me. And while I'm asking guests and asking for all of you to embrace that power of vulnerability and let yourself be yourself, I figured I'd also take the time to show some of myself to you as well by turning some of the same question I ask of guests onto myself. So here I am, and let's begin. I am a 27-year-old, bisexual, cisgendered woman from Canada. I use the pronoun she, her, and I am Caucasian. My family comes from all over the British Isles and migrated to Canada somewhere around five generations ago. My grandparents largely grew up on farms and in small towns in eastern Canada, and I identify with no other country than my own. I am a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none, and have a wide resume including engineering, which is my day job, photography, meditation, and flow arts, which I've recently added fire spinning to this list, which I've been building up to for a long, long time, and oh my gosh, I'm so proud, and it's uh, great. But uh, anyways, so I thought I'd start off with a few off-brand topics because at the time of recording, this was my very first time ever sitting down to speak to you all, and let's be real, I was so nervous. And so I started off with a random question generator, which spat out 20 odd questions, and then I answered some of them, and the best of which I've included here for you. Uh, so enjoy. Okay, so number one, first question. What is the weirdest food you've eaten, and would you eat it again? Oh boy. Okay, so um, it's going to get weird right away, because um, the weirdest food I've ever eaten is distilled cow's pee. And if you want to know why, it was because I was doing a yoga course uh, in Nepal and my Indian teacher was teaching Ayurveda. It's a science that is from like ancient Indian practices um, and uh, is often taught alongside yoga. And they actually have this, um, you can buy it at like an Ayurvedic shop. It's, uh, yeah, distilled cow's pee from you know sacred cows and stuff and we were told that it's got insane healing properties and that you should drink it every single morning and kudos to my roommate she took it every single day for a week a week oh my god she had to come back upstairs every single day before we started our yoga practices and like brush her teeth like three times because there was just so much pee and manure smell and taste in her mouth yeah it was uh, it was quite disgusting I tried it once, you know, try anything twice usually, but that one, you know what, once was enough. I did not need to try that again. <laughs> yeah, that was um, that, and I will not eat it again. Um, question number two. What is your best scar story? Um, I don't know about my best, but my most recent is that there's this massive gash on my ankle now that, like, took 
I kid you not, like a month to like slowly rebuild my skin layer by layer by layer because it went so deep. It was kind of cool to watch it. Like, and at one point I was like, am I going to get the same shape of my foot back at the end? Is it just going to be this massive hole in my ankle? But no, apparently there's, you know, it, it, my body impressed me. It grew all the way back. You forget these things, right? Until you massively injure yourself and you watch yourself re-knit back together and your cells remember how to build your body. It's oh, so cool. But yeah, so I was on one of those electric scooters that you can rent um, in Portland a couple months ago. Would not recommend. And I tried to go up a hill. Actually, I would recommend as long as it's flat. Don't go over any sort of train tracks. I did that too when I wiped out the very next day after doing this to myself, which was where the scar came from. So back up to the day before, before I wiped out on the train tracks, I was trying to go up this massive hill. And I don't know why I decided to do this. It was a terrible idea. And like now after I like took an e-bike all the way up the hill, which was also not easy, like several days later, um, cause I still wanted to get up this goddamn hill. <laughs> I wanted to see the view. So yeah, I'm renting this friggin' like tiny electric scooter thing that does not have the ability to go all the way up this hill. And yeah. Yeah, I um, start having to push. So I take my foot off and I push and I push. And there's this tiny little, well, it's actually pretty big. It sticks out like the width of like a finger maybe, like a centimeter or so. Um, so it sticks out, this little nail. And at one point when I was pushing on the ground, I kind of pushed that nail into my own ankle. And it just kind of ruptured and all this blood started coming out. And oh my gosh, yeah, it was, it was a whole nightmare. I was lying on the side of the sidewalk and... Like, I was like, immediate first aid stuff kicking in, being like, okay, 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 so lie down, put my leg up above my head, put pressure on it. Shit, I don't have anything to put pressure on it. It was a hot summer day, and I just had shorts on, and so I rummaged through my bag, and I found a scarf, and I wrapped it around, and then I'm sitting there, I'm just crying and crying, and I'm like, trying to figure out how the hell I'm gonna get out of this one, and, uh, yeah, thankfully, lovely strangers came up and helped me out, and, uh, yeah, that's my story. All right, next question. What fruit or vegetable would you most want to be? Um, yeah, okay, I would want to be a fungi or a mushroom because fungal networks, man, like, that shit's cool. That shit's so cool. They're like aliens or something, you know? Like, they're always coming out with cool new research. Plus, maybe you could be like a magic mushroom, like a psilocybin mushroom, and just like, that'd be so good. I would love to give somebody else a wonderful, magical experience. Okay, next question. Imagine you could teleport anywhere. Where would you go right now? Um, where would I go right now? Um, I would go to Patagonia because that is where I really want to go hiking. I would just whoop, get myself right to the front of the trail right now. Boom. Okay. Next question. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an explorer, you know, like when they asked you to do that, I like drew myself in like my snowsuit and was like, I want to go and explore the Arctic. And then I did actually get to go to the Arctic for the first time last year and I fell in love immediately. So like, you know what? I wasn't too wrong when I was six years old, which is kind of cool. I also, I think one of my favorite stories is that apparently this teacher asked John Lennon what he wanted to be when he grew up, when he was a little kid. And John Lennon was just like, happy. And the teacher was like, oh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't think you get the question. And John Lennon was like, I don't think you understand life. And I just love that story. And so whenever somebody asks me what I want to be, I just want to say happy. All right. So next question. Have you ever told someone Santa is not real? No, I haven't. 
um, because I was the little sister, but I definitely got told that the Easter Bunny wasn't real when I was about 12 and I cried. Oh my God, I was so upset. And it was like, I think the funniest slash like worst part of it was that like my dad and my sister were both like, Chris, didn't you know? Like it's, it's, there's no giant bunny that delivers chocolate around our house, right? And I was like, oh, that's why my sister was paying so much attention to my dad's Easter egg clues. And I was just sitting there being like, you know nothing, it was the Easter bunny. Yeah, that was uh, a little embarrassing because I was a little bit old, but yeah, anyways. So now that I've been a little silly, these next questions get a little more into it. Next question. How did you, to use the common phrase, lose your virginity? Um, but I don't actually like that one. I really prefer to say, how did you make your sexual debut? I think it's very inclusive. I think it, you know, like same, same way somebody would say walk of shame. I like to say stride of pride because that's what you're really doing. You are strutting your stuff and being all confident that you did that. And well, not that you did that. It could be regardless of what just happened, you know, you, you tried something, you were brave and I don't know. I think it's, it's stride of pride and, uh, making a sexual debut. So yes. How did I, how did I do that? I was 17. I was in my last year of high school. It was New Year's of grade 12. And I, <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So I had a party at my house, at my mom's house. And at that point I was living in the basement. So I kind of had turned the whole basement into like almost like a suite, like a, a suite, like apartment. And so there was a bathroom that was mine and there was this whole common space. So there was like my bed there and my desk there and there was a couch and a beanbag chair. And there was this massive storage room in the back that kind of wasn't finished. There was no flooring to it. There was no walls, you know, like that was all very stripped down. And so that was in the back and yeah, in this space in which it was, which was essentially just my bedroom. We put like, I think 11 or 12 people, which I know sounds like a small party, but at the time that was... It was so good because we, we had a lot of those parties in that basement uh, with some of my friends that like it was it was our space, right? Like none of us had really our space at that point of our lives. And so this is the closest we had to somebody's apartment. And so our small number, it, it just made it intimate and made it really special. Um, there was a lot of very personal connections between all of us. There was a lot of new connections being made. And it was it was a really, really amazing parties that happened in that location and especially this one night. And not exactly for this reason, but I guess that it piled on to make it significant. And um, so within that back storage room, we put a mattress, a blow-up mattress, because, you know, there's not enough room. We're like, well, we're all just going to cuddle and fall on the ground and sleep there or not sleep. Or I don't know. We didn't think about it too much, but we had, you know, some beds, so it was fine. And yeah, so it was the first time that two of my best friends who went to other high schools than me had met my, at the time, boyfriend. And they just looked at him and they just went, Chris, like this, this guy loves you so much. And like, you, you got to. And despite the fact that he hadn't told me he loved me yet, but it, they just saw the adoration in his eyes and they were like, oh my gosh, you need to have sex with him. And an important prelude to this is that these two friends of mine had had sex before and some of them many years beforehand. And so they... Like they actually kind of craved it and they were kind of already in that cycle of being like, oh my gosh, it's been this much time since I've had it. And like sometimes you start craving it in ways that like makes you uncomfortable, right? Like I think we all 
experience that at one time or another, or we get on times when we're super, super comfortable and don't want it for whatever reason. We're working on ourselves in some way, but at this point in our lives, I didn't have that craving because I'd never done it. And they did. And I remember them specifically talking to me about it and being like, I, you don't understand because you've never done it. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I don't. And I'm kind of happy that I haven't because this doesn't look fun again all the time. And so yeah, they were like, you should, you should do this. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, yes, I know I'm ready, but I'm scared. I'm very scared. And so with a little bit more prompting, I finally said, okay, yes, but I'm going to get so drunk first. And yes, I know there's so much wrong with that statement. There's so much wrong with everything that just happened there. But think back, you know, 17. And that was what I needed to do. That's, that's, that's how I did it. So there I am chugging down the bottles, um, deciding that this was going to, what, what was going to happen? Oh, and I guess it's very important to also say that my first objection was that, you know, everybody's in my house. That's not cool. You don't just sneak off and go have sex in some other room. And that was, I was like, I'm the host. This, I can't do that. And they were like, of course you can. It's your house. You get to do what you want. And I was like, all we have is this tiny space. Like I'm just having sex in the room. And they were like, yeah, 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 do it, do it, do it. It's funny. It's great. It's wonderful. And I, yeah, again, I agreed and they convinced me and I mean, I was, yeah, I was already ready. And I guess I just needed a big push because I'd made it up to be something probably a lot bigger in my head than it was. Um, again, not, <laughs> not my best moment here, but yeah, so I drink a lot. Of course, my boyfriend at the time wasn't in on this plan. He was just happily having his time. And I cannot remember when the transition happened, when I pulled him into the other room. It was probably quite late at that point. It was definitely past midnight. And it was definitely like, okay, we're going to bed now, but we weren't, um, slash that was not my idea. But also I was just so floppy. I was so, I'm going to use that word floppy because, oh, I like that because it's just like, you know? And so we get into this bed and this, it's, it's a blow up mattress in a freezing cold room in the middle of winter with like unfinished walls, right? So no insulation, not a great setting, honestly. And it's like pretty dark. And so we get into the room and... Oh, Chris, little Chris, little Chris, um, didn't know enough about consent. Didn't know how sexy consent is, you know, didn't, didn't know that you could hundred percent just be like, can I kiss you? Can I do this? Can I, and that, that, that is wonderful. And that is exactly what you should do. And that won't disrupt a moment if everything else is great and wonderful. And instead I refused to answer his very direct and to think about it now, sexy question of just saying, Chris, do you want to have sex? And I would just giggle and laugh and try to be cute and kiss him. And I guess this was part of my drunkness too, but, and I wanted my kiss to say yes. I wanted that to be my confirmation and good on him. He didn't take my drunken kiss as a yes. He waited for the yes. And so I, this kept going on for a while. It was, again, it was just, Oh my gosh, little Chris, what were you doing? I just, I thought it wasn't, I couldn't get the words out. I couldn't, maybe I was nervous, but I was also, I was just like, that wasn't, that's not sexy. I don't want to do that. So eventually, eventually I pulled it out of myself. And again, this wasn't because I didn't want to, this wasn't because I didn't care very deeply for this human and didn't know that he cared very deeply for me, but I had to like rip the word out of my throat. I had to just, it took everything I had in that moment, even with being intoxicated to let that single tiny little word yes, out of my lips. And then it began. And without getting too far into these details, yeah, I don't know that he had the best of times. 
because I was very unhelpful and I was very drunk and again, very floppy, just picture very floppy. And so I just kind of, I, I wasn't helping. Let's put it that way. I wasn't helping. Nothing really worked terribly well. And to the point where this is still my story, but mm, did I, did I make my sexual debut in this way? In, in penetrative sex that night? Mm, I don't know. I really, I really don't know. And to top it all off, man's a champ. I, I stole all the comforters that night and he's like a slight insomniac. And I also kept talking to him about how I'd cuddle with all my best friends and how I loved cuddling and all that stuff. Still true to this day. And that night, apparently I stole all the cobbler covers and every time he tried to cuddle me, I kicked him away. Just, just literally a little kick. And I just, that's so bad. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, anyways, that's, that's what happened. And then a couple weeks later, we skipped a class at school. I think he had a spare when I had a class that, I don't know. I, yeah, I think I skipped class once. I skipped like a chemistry class, which I am ironically a chemical engineer, but I, uh, yeah, I skipped chemistry class to have sex for the first time because he had a spare and I had a car and we had an empty house and that was the perfect time to do it. And so, yeah, that was, that was probably the first legit time and that was wonderful and not filled with drama and drugs and everything else. But yeah, oh my god. So the next morning, I he comes out in what I assume is a very scraggly pair of boxers and maybe a tiny little, I don't know, something wrapped around his waist because he got the nickname Gollum after that from my friends after he came out uh, basically nude and went pee after sleeping very coldly or not sleeping at all in the storage room out in the back. Yeah, so that lesson... Uh, that lesson sticks with me, and that's a that's a messy one, but I hope you can resonate with some of that, and I hope that gives you a big sigh of relief, or gives you some sort of, oh my god, me too, kind of moments, um, because you know what? It's messy for all of us, and that's my truth. That's what happened. Alright, so this next question is, how do I feel about my body, slash also my naked body, now? And as I'm reading this, what I'm thinking is that... I should give you the honest answer that comes up in this very moment, which means I'm going to move over to a different space, strip naked and look in the mirror and tell you how I feel. Okay, so I've moved. I am staring at myself, taking myself in, and seeing what comes up right now. So it's two different schools of thought, right? Or three, really. The first one is that... Because I'm a little bloated after eating dinner and everything, I I look to my belly always first and I, I feel a little self-conscious about it. I feel like it's, it's a little bigger, but realistically, all that's in there is my digestive organs doing a great job. At least right now, they're doing a great job because I'm pain-free. I see my tattoos and I see the history of myself, the art that I've put on my body. And then on the flip side, I can't help but look at myself and think, oh my god. It's just, bodies are so beautiful, and and this is mine, and how cool is that? And think of all the bodies and all the humans that came before you that have made up so much of what you're looking at now, and isn't it cool to think, why does our, do our bodies do this instead of that, and why have we grown this way, and it's fascinating, and it's gorgeous, you know, it's just so gorgeous. And I wish I could tell you that that's how I thought every day and that that's how I wake up feeling. But sometimes I run and hide. Sometimes I'm undressing and I and I look away because I know that then I won't have to see it. 
but why? Why do I do that? Why do, why do any of us do that? That's, that's insane. Why would you not want to look at this incredible being? Any chance you got? And I guess I don't want to be vain. I'm not just saying be vain and look at your face and be like, yeah, I'm the best. But like, you know, take a look. Take a good, hard look. And think about how you feel. I have been working on this a lot. I have been consciously putting myself into situations where I have, where I have the chance to experience non-sexual nudity in public places, such as a nude beach. And I guess that's the most common one, nude beach, or like places like festivals where you can express yourself however you want, including where whatever you want, including nothing, right? And I have been slowly working on how I feel in those situations and trying to unlearn the sexualization of our naked bodies. And it's, it's a process. It really is. And the more I do it, the more I feel comfortable about it, the more I feel comfortable with other people doing it, the more I feel comfortable in my own skin doing it. But it is a process. And I definitely see like each of us has been conditioned in certain ways. I think that, yeah, naked bodies have been sexualized. And so undoing that is one of my journeys that I'm on. Just like working on waking up and actually I feel best in the morning. I wake up in the morning and I look at myself and I'm like, hell yes, let's start this day. But <laughs> after dinner and after there's a full day of digestion, it can, uh, it can be a little harder. But yeah, I just think of how grateful I am to have this skin, to have this body and how I'm going to take care of it however I can and serve it as it serves me. So now that I'm back at, uh, made the walk over from my bedroom back to my recording studio, also known as my kitchen table, I've, I've just thought about what I was saying there and I'm realizing it's important to say here that some of that is also my ideal way of thinking, right? My, me having a first thought in my mind that I go, ew, or that I am not happy with it and then correcting. And that's okay, right? And that I find is a very useful tool of I don't know, I've heard once before that the first thought is what society has taught you to think and the second thought is what you actually think. And whether or not that's true, I like it because the first thing that pops into my mind is often not how I want to be. And so me saying those things about myself is how I want to feel. And so the more I affirm it and the more I tell myself that that's my truth, the more that will be my truth. And so hopefully the days that I wake up and don't feel as good about myself, slowly diminish and hopefully disappear. And so for this last part, I kind of let myself riff a bit and I'm going to tell you a more recent story and my recent health journey and some of the things that have led me to where I am today and to starting this podcast. And yeah, these were, these were some of the things that first came to me when I thought I'm going to sit down and tell you guys my story. And so here we go. So brief history on my lived experience is that I'm from Ontario, Canada, and uh, I grew up in the capital of Canada, Ottawa, and I was very privileged. I, I lived a very, very privileged life. Um, I had wonderful parents who, despite the fact that they got divorced when I was 10, showered us with love and yeah, like they, they made sure that we knew what money meant. They made sure that we knew the value of things and that we didn't get everything we wanted, but we were given everything we needed. And 
sometimes things that we wanted and yeah it was it was a wonderful way to grow up when my parents got divorced they actually moved down the street from one another so there was like three houses in between like one house and the other house so i just like walked down the street every week and like headed to the other house and that was really strange but really really nice that we didn't have to commute all the way across the city like some of my friends did I mean, I, I grew up playing hockey, but I was the least aggressive one on the whole team. And this is ice hockey. I never got a single penalty in 11 years playing hockey. I never got a single penalty. I think I took one for somebody else once and I was pretty mad that like, like <laughs> that hurt my like good record. And yeah, so like, I guess full scope of that. Yeah, so I was in Ottawa until I was 18, graduated high school. I went to school for engineering in London, Ontario, and which was, there's this great party school there and there's so much great culture and there's just this amazing vibe of people where I just got to like just do all these weird things like build a toboggan out of concrete and like race it down hills and there was a whole bunch of drinking involved for a weekend where we got to like fly somewhere in Canada and race them all against all the other engineering schools. Like just, just these weird wild things that just are just so much not part of other people's lived experiences but you don't really realize that until you're a lot older right um and then i uh i went traveling for a couple years you know just me in a backpack and one-way flight and a couple friends to start and then kept going and i'm sure there'll be stories that come out from that later on but that was definitely like the next chapter of my life and taught me so 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 much probably more than university ever did and then um yeah i landed in Vancouver, Canada. Um, when I got home, I grabbed, well, I emptied the backpack, refilled the backpack, and then got in a car with my aunt and uncle because they just happened to be driving across the country at the same time I needed to go across and couldn't really afford a plane ticket at that point. So yeah, I got in the car, drove across with them, which is this wonderful long road trip across half of Canada, and ended up in Vancouver with my one backpack and no plan 10 days after I had, or a couple weeks after I'd gotten back to Canada after being gone for over a year and started my life here in Vancouver where I'm speaking to you right now. That, that was quite the journey. It's funny because I could remember my family very much looking at me being like, Chris, do you know what you're doing? And I was just like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I got this. I know what I'm doing. And I did not. I just, I mean, I did not have a job for quite a while. I did six jobs in six months before finally finding the job that I do now. Anyways, that's that's me. So backing up and going into more, like how did I get to doing this podcast, right? Like you're like you're sitting there being like, you've told me nothing, nothing about this. I, I don't have any amazing becoming story. I really don't. I don't have like this sad, intense story. I just have that, you know, being bisexual, I just, I knew it when I was 15. I figured it out and it was just such a core piece of myself and I remember I had one of my best friends was also bisexual and she she didn't want to tell people she was a little more shy about it and man I wish I could remember the exact words I told her but all I did was just say you know like dude like it's you like that's not scary being you like just just do it just just be it that's that's the best thing you can be and and she just kind of, I could just see like this light go off in her eyes and she just, she just went like, oh yeah, yeah, of course. And just, again, paraphrasing, cause this was over 10 years ago now, but it was just the most beautiful moment. And I, I remember it. I still really, really remember that, um, being really impactful for me just being able to help somebody in that way. And yeah, like I had really good body image, even in high school, 
you know, I wasn't any of the most insert X quality here. I just, I stood by what I was and I knew what I was and I loved who I was. And I knew I didn't want to be anything different even then. Yeah. And so I also, I mean, there was kind of a moment where I realized that I could do something vulnerable and I could help someone else. And that was actually about coming out. I didn't officially come out for a very long time. I knew when I was 15, like I said, and like, I kind of told myself that whenever it came up, whenever the topic was breached, I would tell, tell the secret, tell the story, tell the truth, I'd, right? I don't know, I would, I would say it, right? I would, I would never hide from it. And I told myself that very early. And I told myself also that I would tell my family when it came up, you know, like whenever it comes up, that's fine. And so I didn't really think it was important for me to come out. I actually thought it was kind of self-centered and narcissistic to be like, this is me, I'm coming out, woo. Um, but of course that's, that's not what it is, right? Like we all know that watching somebody come out is really powerful and it gives other people the courage to come out. And it's not about you, right? Like, I mean, it is obviously about you, but it's, it's not. It's about showing people that it's okay to be themselves and having one more example, right? Like of someone who wants to be themselves and wants to show it to the world and, so I, I didn't really do it in, yeah, so I did it in an interesting way. I wanted to be in the Pride Parade in Toronto many years ago when I was living in that area. And I knew I needed to tell my family first because while a lot of people in my circle of friends knew, slash everybody did and had for a long time, my family still didn't know. And so I actually just sent them all an email. And like, I'm talking about like, aunts and uncles and grandparents and parents. Like I literally just sent them all one email to everybody. And I was just like, yeah, so this is me. This is who I am. Here you go. And I had to wait until after the pride parade so that I could, you know, get a, a photo of me holding up like this massive sign that just said like, I put the B in LGBTQ and I sent it to my entire family. Um, in an email and so that I could also then post it on Facebook because I felt very, very odd um, not telling them before that. And of course, you know, like I just got emails of love from everybody. Some people being like, I knew it. And some people being like, I love that you're able to share this with us. You know that we love you no matter what, right? It was just, it was wonderful. And that's, and that's what I knew would happen. I'm very, very fortunate in that way that like I have other members of my family who are also part of the LGBTQ community. And so I'm definitely not alone in that way and just knew that I would be loved no matter what and I was loved no matter what. So yeah, very, very fortunate, pretty amazing coming out experience. But yeah, I just realized at that point that it was easy and simple for me to do. And so yeah, of course I should definitely just do it, you know, just just get it out there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was it was hard to bring it up to my family because I kept falling in love with men. And so I never had women to bring home. I just thought that one day I would bring home a woman and then it'd be like, yep, surprise, this is me, woohoo. But uh, yeah, it just never happened, which, uh, yeah. Oh well. So the next part of this journey of these different items that I want to talk to you about today is that sex was kind of part of my identity in a weird way. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but it just was. You know, so I became the one with like these crazy sex stories and and I even like there's one terrible story where I hid kind of part of the truth or I told it in a way that made it seem like a wild adventure instead of what it was, which was a terrifying sexual assault story is really what it was. And so like that, that wasn't great. And that, of course, I mean, that took several months to really realize what it was. 
Um, Because the first person I told the story to, I actually didn't realize how bad it was until I kind of heard their voice going, oh, Chris, I'm so sorry. That sounds really hard. And I was kind of sitting there being like, wait, why? And yeah, it just, it really didn't hit me. Like I had, I have this great friend who like, he would just be like, oh yes, this is the Chris story. Every time I would like start a story and then just like have a completely wildly different ending. And I loved that. I loved having these connections to these like wild, wild stories. And so it was, it was hard, especially when I started to have painful sex. I started kind of losing a part of my identity because I couldn't have sex without it hurting. And I actually got really scared that like, this was just going to be the rest of my life. And how do you talk to people about this? And it started just getting worse and worse and worse. So like it started, I was in a relationship at the very end of my university experience. Um, and I was gearing up to travel and I was actually still like head over heels in love with this man. And I mean that whole leaving and having like long distance letters and all this stuff, it was a whole thing, but yeah, it started with like, I think I got maybe a UTI and then like, or I thought it was a UTI or like an infection and then it wasn't. And then like when I was leaving for this massive trip where like I wouldn't get the kind of medical support that I could get in Canada, I just, I still had no solution. All I could do was just drink a lot of water and like sometimes that would really like help. Oh my gosh, it friggin' burned. Like honestly, trying to think back on it, I I think I blocked a lot of it out because like there were so many painful moments and like I literally couldn't have like any penetrative sex without this just hugely like it was just pain it was just pure pain like the whole inside of it just it just burned yeah I definitely think I blocked a lot of it out like I even like I stopped using my diva cup um for those of you who don't know what a diva cup is quick trivia it's this plastic um cup that you can put inside you and catches all your period blood so you can not use any disposable items and it's it's wonderful and it's magical but I actually had to stop using it and of course it's it's wonderful also when you're traveling because, I mean, you don't need to try to look for tampons in a tiny town in India, right? Like, that's not a not a good time. Uh, you know, you might get something, but you might not, and you might pay a lot of money for it. You never know. So it's really nice to have that, like, constant access to just this really reliable way to control your flow. For a while, I stopped taking it out because I thought that maybe, like, if I didn't get enough water and if I didn't pee constantly enough, like imagine sitting on a bus for eight hours through Asia and just having to pee the whole time. But like, if you tried to pee, it just would hurt more. And then it, you'd still need to pee. Like it was just, it was just awful. And so these two things were obviously connected and I started feeling so ashamed and I would still have sex through the pain. Cause I still just like craved it, but I couldn't do it. And so I would just be like, maybe this time it'll feel better. Maybe this time I can find some other way. And then like alcohol made it worse, which of course, when you're traveling and you're having just like random hookups, which like, you know, only once or twice or however many times with the same person, cause you both move on. That doesn't help either because every time you're having sex, you tend to be a little drunk, you know, like there tends to be some alcohol involved. Anyways, that was a whole thing. And when I think back on it, I really don't focus on that. And I focus on like, oh my gosh, like... <laughs> stories for other times but like man I'd like threesomed my way through Asia <laughs> and I had so much fun and I remember them all very fondly but I think that's just my own way of filtering out those like negative emotions and those negative memories because yeah when I got home it was still bad and I actually eventually found out that there was this thing called a pelvic physiotherapist um, which is incredible which I did not know existed and for any of you who didn't know oh my gosh now you do it's a great thing it's great 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 so 
I went to my first public physiotherapist and oh man, guys, do I have some juicy stories for you about this first one. They really didn't give me much new information. Like they called it like vulvodynia, I believe it was, um, which is their name for it, but they like skated over it. They were like, okay, so I think you have vulvodynia and then just went whoop to the next subject. Like they didn't even stop, pause, collect $100. Like they just didn't. I don't even know. They just, they were just like, yeah, so this is what you have. Let's skate over that. Oh no, no, no. Don't Google it. Don't look at this stuff. I'm like, dude, I want to know what it is you're trying to tell me I have. Like you're actually coming up with a, like a plausible thing that I might be able to solve and you're not willing for me to look it up. Like, dude, I need to do my own research. Oh my God. So like, they were like, okay, so certain foods might aggravate it. But they told me simple, small things that I thought were obvious. They were like, oh yeah, chocolate and like acidic things. And like, Oh God, there was like this long list, like coffee and like tea and just like all these things. I was like, dude, you just took out like all the good things in life. Like what? And this still like, I don't know. It just didn't really help. Oh my gosh. Okay. So there was one time, um, one of the, one of the tests that they had me do, they took electrodes and they attached them to the outside of my butt, like right where the muscles are, like the anal clenching muscles. Dude, I can't make this up. I swear. It is true story. So they had me like clench to show me how to do like kegels. And then they had me look at this computer that was like registering when I was clenching my kegels based on the electrodes that were attached to my ass, which I was already, like I was already pretty good at kegels. So she was like, oh wow, you're so good. And I'm like, dude, you just made me pay an extra $15 to buy electrodes that you're gonna stick to my ass that you're then not allowed to give to anyone else because they've been attached to my ass. And so you're gonna make me pay for these. And then all you're gonna say is, oh yeah, you're really good at kegels. Great. Thanks. Thanks, dude. Thanks. So that was one, one of, one of the kind of like ridiculous things that I did there. Another great, great, great story that came out of this whole pelvic physiotherapy experience was that she had me buy a box of dildos made out of wax. Yeah. So I actually ended up like, cause I was at this appointment before I went to work. So I actually remember walking into the office with a box of dildos and of various sizes, you know, they're like training, you know, like one size up. If you've ever seen the show Sex Education, oh my God, it's my favorite fucking show. But it's like, it's like the, one of the characters in that story had like various sizes to try to like help train her vagina. So it was like that kind of thing. And I was sitting there and like, for some reason, you know, when the doctors are like, oh my God, you need this thing. You need this drug. And you're like, oh my God. Okay. And you like want to do all the things so that you can make yourself healthy. And so you're like, oh my God. Okay. And yeah, I didn't think about the fact that I already got a dildo at home. It's already at the biggest size of all these dicks and I can hundred percent put it in. That's not my problem. That's not the problem that I'm here to solve. I can put a large thing in there. It just hurts sometimes if I don't take certain considerations and like all and all the things. Yeah. So that was, that was an interesting one. I was like, you know, like, I think I paid something like stupid, like 60 bucks for this box of wax penises in various sizes. And I like looked at them afterwards. I'm like, what the fuck? Like eventually I just melted them down and made a candle because I was like, well, you know what? Like I lady... I, I don't need this box of penises as funny as they are, but yeah, unfortunately I never find anything funnier to do with them than make them into a candle. Yeah, no, I, that was ridiculous and really dumb. There was a couple of useful pieces of advice though. There was the one piece that like really was the first step to me being like, oh my gosh, I think I can just have sex again. Like maybe like I'll start to get there again was so I could 
you can like kind of do this push where you like push out your inner labia and it like and then you like kind of lead anything into it if you're you know into penetrative sex so like bringing that in when you're pushing open and it like spreads open the labia and kind of takes out all like the pain areas that I was experiencing because she also had me kind of like explore in there with my finger and like figure out which points were like more painful and so she did find that there was like this one area that was more sensitive that really shouldn't have been and so like figuring out like why my brain was making that sensitive because it shouldn't be and it wasn't like it wasn't what was there that was hurting it was something in my brain making it hurt so that was useful and so like yeah being able to like push it out take something in definitely hurt a little less and then like all I had to do was make sure not to touch this one area while I was having sex because then once it was aggravated it kind of like made everything else hurt and like yeah it just it just made everything kind of sting so it was an excellent working strategy but I don't know that it was worth all of those doctor's appointments and all of this time and money of mine I guess the second piece that she did give me was that like she alleviated some of my worries and so I did sort of start to think of it differently and I did like you know as long as I could kind of have a coping mechanism and I knew this maybe wouldn't be forever and there was tons of other women facing the same thing you know like that really did help but yeah like so I actually eventually ended up talking to a friend a male friend who um, studies osteopathy and he was kind of like, oh, you're going to a pelvic physiotherapist. That's cool. And like, this was at like a really low point. So like, I think I started crying to him being like, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? Like this fucking sucks. And he was just like, does she do any internal work? And I kind of looked at him and I went, what, what? And he was like, yeah, no internal work. You know, like, does she go in and actually like work on stuff? And I was like, no, he was like, oh no, dude, you need that. And so he recommended me to one of his classmates slash like a friend of his and oh my god, that is where the real magic happened. That is where everything started being just put into place. It was the best. So she's a physiotherapist and an osteopath kind of put together. She studied specific techniques and oh my god. So osteopathy is, so it kind of like it wants to restore the normal function and the stability of your joints to help the body heal itself. I'm just reading this definition because I can't remember it. Um, and so like an osteopath will use their hands to treat your body in a variety of ways using a mixture of gentle and forceful techniques. And so they'll like press here and pull here and kind of like, it's actually really amazing to watch them work. It's like friggin' magic. And so like a combination of that plus like so much knowledge about like the pelvic area and pelvic physiotherapy in, in particular. And so she kind of like started at the top and she like loosened up all these nerves and opened up all these nerve pathways and like she like really just worked her way down. She's like, hey, I can't just go right in there and try to fix that. I need to start at the top and work all my way down. You know, love a good holistic approach, of course, like, oh my gosh. So like she kind of went systematically through everything and she got to my gut and like my gut has a lot of issues and has really just been inflamed for years and she just kind of looked at it and like she couldn't push without me being like, ow, like she couldn't touch it without me saying ow, uh, which has kind of always been the case up until more recently. And she was just like, yeah, no, I can't help you anymore. Like you need to fix this. And she was a kind of one, she was a person who slapped me awake in all of my, my gut issues and was like, cause apparently like what's really happening is like, because there's so much inflammation in the gut, it's really like pulling at like different areas in my pelvic region um, that are kind of making these pains happen, right? Like it's like it's like when your muscle hurts 
like your your thigh muscle hurts and then like your knee hurts because of that but it's really like you need to stretch out the muscle but it's your joint that's hurting it's kind of like that because they're like neighbors they're like one's pulling on the other and influencing the other that's just that's kind of what I understand but like I was also like yeah okay I really need to fix my gut and so then I started working with a naturopath and that's a whole other adventure but I still haven't gotten fully to the end of that journey. I still haven't gone back to her since I've started going to the naturopath, but that's how I got to a naturopath in the first place and then discovered a whole bunch of other issues, which, yeah, go to a naturopath. Oh my God, it's just, it's magical and wonderful. I wanted to share this story because it was really hard for me and I don't want to sit here and tell you these like flashy stories about stuff because I'm sure they'll come out. I want to sit, I want to tell you about something real and tough and a little more difficult for me to open up on. I want... Um, you to feel safe here in this space. We've all been through some shit. And if, if you've got weird sex pains or just some weird stuff going on, like you're not alone. Like, you know, that whole food stuff with the first pelvic physiotherapist, I still can't have tomatoes. Like my vagina will like burn when I have tomatoes. Like those weird things you just like can't figure out. Like you're gonna figure them out. You can talk to people, you can ask people questions. It really only sucks when you're alone and you're trying to figure it out. And I would have never ever gotten to where I am today if I hadn't just had the courage to like sit there next to my friend in this McDonald's at like midnight after we'd gone to the bar and just cry to him about the fact that my vagina hurt. Right, like it's, it's just the random weirdest things. And there's so many options out there, right? There's not only pelvic physiotherapy, but like yoni massages and which we'll definitely get into later. Friggin' amazing like lots of cerebral based therapies because like so much of that kind of stuff is like very much in your head and remember that too like for me for me at least and like I think the science really shows that understanding things leads to greater healing so like looking into it like even just being open to like really investigating your own body and like trying to understand what's going on to the best of your ability first like it's just it's so so powerful so yeah I wanted to say that you're not alone you will fix it whatever it is you can and will fix it keep going. You've got this. I believe in you. And with that, we come to the end of this episode of Reclaim Your Radiance. Thank you so much for joining this week. I hope you enjoyed your time with us and came away with something valuable. If you want more and simply cannot wait until next week, come join us online. We have a couple of really exciting communities that are being built. First, we have a Facebook community with the name Reclaim Your Radiance, where we talk about all sorts of topics related to the podcast and tons that aren't. It's a community of like-minded souls who want to dive deeper into these things and keep the conversation flowing. Secondly, you can sign up for our mailing list to receive occasional bonus content. The current bonus being offered is a daily self-love checklist or a quick guide to having more mindful and connected sexual experiences. And that can of course be with yourself or with others. You do you. And you can also get both, downloadable and printable and ready to be of service to you in your life. And lastly, coming soon to a computer near you is our Patreon. Come along and join us for extra content, regular community meetups, fun swag, one-on-one time with yours truly, and so much more. Stay tuned for that. Head on over to the episode notes and the show description to find those links, and I hope to see you online soon. All right, everyone. Until next week, stay radiant.